everybody. In this episode of Trek in Time, we'll talk about what if Nicolas Cage was a captain of a starship. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about episode 16 of season two of Star Trek Enterprise, Canamar. And as everybody knows, here on Trek in Time, what we do is we take a look at every episode of Star Trek in chronological order and also take a look at where it fits into our history. So we're taking a look at Enterprise right now. We're still in early days, which means we're talking about not only Enterprise, but we're talking about 2003. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I've published some stuff for adults, which is in the sci-fi vein. I've published some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. He's the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you today? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's, uh, spring is, seems to be trying to sprung and (laughs) I'm trying to help it sprung as much as I can, but I can only do so much. So I am mentally prepared for spring. That is why I'm wearing a t-shirt despite the fact I am cold. (laughs) So as usual, we like to weigh in with a little bit of the past before we get into the future. So Matt, I understand you've got some comments from a previous episode that you want to share with us. Yeah, there's a couple, there was a little trend on the last episode, which was future tense, which is their doctor who episode where Mm -hmm. the inside of the ship was bigger than the outside of the ship. A couple people commented that one Fryan Allen how you say his name is this is my favorite episode of the whole star trek mm. call rome said i my f- my all-time favorite episode mm. the vessel that was much larger on the inside mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting that a bunch of people cited this as one of their favorite episodes yeah and then related to that aj chan comment commented it would have been cool to see the tholians involved in a geopolitical landscape of the vulcans and dorians and tellarites Hopefully we'll see more of them in Strange New Worlds, which is the new Star yes. Trek show that's going to be spinning up soon. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool if they did that. But one of the problems they have is that they kind of established, I think it was in the original series, that the yeah. Tellarites really don't show up until Kirk. Yeah. So they can't do that much with it because they box themselves into a corner trying to mm-hmm. do this stuff. But it's so cool. I really wish they would do more with them. The last comment about that episode was from Gideon Miles. And I thought this one made me go, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the design of the ship made no sense to me. The whole thing was cramped, melt, devoid of any sources of light or portholes. It was more like an industrial ingot that happened to somehow be a time ship. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, why? If you have unlimited space on the inside, why would you make it so cramped and tiny? It's like yeah. this tiny, like little shaft they have to climb down and mm-hmm. a tiny little cramped, like little engineering section. It's like, you have the room. You've created a little quantum universe or whatever the hell you're doing there. It's like, why wouldn't you just make it bigger? Do you want to hear my sci-fi writer uh, explanation of that? I bet you have an explanation. (laughs) When Trip goes down into the part of the ship that's larger, we don't know what he's going down into. He could very well be going down into the engineering of the ship. So he Mm -hmm. effectively could be going into a part of the ship that, similar to the design of the Federation ships, the Starfleet, the nacelles are where they are on the starships because of a type of radiation that they emit, which makes it mm-hmm. dangerous for the inhabitants of the ship. So they are on those stalks to keep them away from the compartments where the personnel most actively operate. Right. So it's conceivable that the time ships, the interior removal of some dangerous component to the pilot, 
would be why you would have that long chamber with the ladder going down into a larger belly because maybe that's the dangerous engine. It's the nacelle. It's the nacelle. And then the pilot's area is small and cramped, but we're also talking about a technology that is so far advanced. We have now we're watching Picard and we see how the pilot of a ship is able to interface with the needs of piloting the ship through holographic projections that are moving with that pilot's head. Mm -hmm. It is entirely conceivable to me that for the pilot, there would be a VR experience which would place that pilot in a kind of a field more spacious where yeah. it would be more spacious and possibly even even devoid of a ship itself. Imagine being a time traveling pilot for whom the experience would be you were free floating in space and able to talk move about, through space. Talk about time. vertigo. Yeah. <laughs> I could envision I, and yes. that's one of the things about that episode that stands out as really cool to me is the idea that the tech is designed in a way to evoke this response from Gideon Miles. None of this design makes sense to me. How could this possibly work? Well, if you took a car back in time and showed it to a captain of a sailing vessel from the 1700s and described how a car worked, they would look at a car and say, this cannot possibly do any of the things you're talking about. Where is the power source? Where is like the concept of a car would be completely science fiction to a 17th century sailing captain. And I like the fact that this vessel, devoid of windows, devoid of any noticeable propulsion, on the interior, small, cramped, it looks like a terrifying escape pod as opposed to a time-traveling ship. And yet that is what it is. So the, for me, Mr. Miles' response is, I think, the point of the design. It is such forward tech that even people flying on a spaceship at warp speed can't possibly conceive of how the things work inside of it. So I think it's, it's the point. And I think that that's a terrific aspect of the design of the ship. Instead of making it look super sci-fi fighter pilot spaceship, they've gone the other direction. I made it look clunky and weird and inexplicable. Mm Mm-hmm. So on to today's episode, we, as I mentioned before, are going to be talking about episode 16 of season two, Canamar, and that read alert sound you hear, that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's, it's time, Matt. It's time for Matt to read the Wikipedia synopsis, set phasers to stun, because I think we're all going to be stunned by what Matt's about to read. Matt, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> okay. Canamar is the 43rd episode, production number 217 of the science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise, the 17th of the second season. <laughs> Mistaken for smugglers, Captain Archer and Commander Tucker find themselves on a prisoner transport ship. The name of the episode is the Anolian <laughs> Aliens Penal Colony of Canamar. The episode also feature, feature, mm-hmm. not even features, nope. the episode also feature T'Pol and features guest characters such as the alien prisoner Karota, or Karata, Karota. Uh, played by guest star actor Mark Ralston. Mark Ralston. Mm-hmm. The episode is directed by Alan Croker. Okay. That's that the, was... Yeah, it's an interesting synopsis. 
That was a great ending to that. Yeah. <laughs> that ending, the single sentence, and and almost every sentence is broken off as its own paragraph, but the final sentence, final paragraph of the synopsis being the episode is directed by Alan Croker makes me think that this synopsis was written by Alan Croker. Well, can I also point out that it's actually wrong because it says the name of the episode is the Anolian Aliens Penal Colony Connemar of Connemar? That's that not is, the name of the episode. That is, is the name of the episode, yes. I thought it was just Connemar. I'm not sure what you're saying. They are going to a place called Connemar. No, it says the name of the episode is the Enolian Aliens Penal Colony of Connemar. The name of the episode is Enolian Aliens Penal Colony of Connemar. The name of the episode is actually just Connemar. The name of the episode is Connemar. What they've written is a grammatically incorrect sentence. What the point of that sentence is, is Canamar, which is the name of this episode, is the name of an Anolian alien penal colony. But that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm interpreting it the way it's written. Okay. You're, 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 interpreting, you're interpreting it the way <laughs> it's they meant, it, yes. meant to be written. I'm interpreting it as it's written. The name right. of the episode is the Anolian aliens penal colony of Canamar. It's like, no, yes. it's just called Canamar. <laughs> yeah. True. So listeners, there we have part of the wrestling that we do with Wikipedia. <laughs> this is insane. I'm able to read through the Wikipedia editor's bad grammar and Matt is taking it at face value and Matt is I'm right. taking it literally. That is exactly what it says. <laughs> All right, deep breath, sip of coffee. Let's get into the discussion. Woo! Here we go. Here we go. Cancel read alert. So this episode aired on UPN on February 26, 2003, and it was written by John Shaban, who also wrote the episodes Minefield and Dawn, two of our recent favorite episodes. Minefield, of course, being the episode where the Enterprise was trapped in a minefield with a mine attached to its hull. Really good nail-biting episode. And then Dawn being the episode in which Trip is trapped on the planet with a alien whom at first they are antagonistic to one another. And it was basically the enemy mine storyline. Another very good episode. This episode, I jumping forward a bit as far as my thoughts around it. Not John Chabon's best, but mm. it doesn't. He set a high bar for himself is I think what happened. Yeah, and this episode is directed, as mentioned before, in the Wikipedia en entry, which ranks <laughs> suspiciously. It ranks suspiciously as if Alan Croker had written it himself. This episode is directed by Alan Croker. Mr. Croker has the distinction of having directed the series finales for Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise. Mr. Croker is a man who knows what he's doing. I think this episode demonstrates that. This is a, from start to finish, from a directorial perspective. I think hits a lot of good notes. And before anybody thinks that I'm throwing Mr. Shaban under a space bus, I would just like to point out there are some moments of dialogue and character development, mainly of prisoners that I think is very well done. And I think Mr. Shaban mm -hmm. did a good job with an episode that was just not a great overall concept and wasn't developed in a way to make it really stand up as strong as his previous episodes or as much as the previous episodes, which we've talked about more recently in the airing in February. Yep. So the air date of this episode originally was February 26, 2003. And Matt, what were you dancing to? Well, that's right. You were <laughs> dancing to I'm With You by Avril Lavigne. It was still number one here in the States. 
And at the movies, what were we going in to see? Well, Matt and I had already seen this movie. Yes, we did. In its first week. So number two, week number two for this movie, Daredevil earned another $18 million at the box office. This, of course, is the Daredevil with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, the movie that both of them would like to forget. And the fact that it was at number one for a second week at only it was 18 a surprise million. Hit. Yes, it was, it was a surprise, surprise hit. hit. It would go on to make, I believe it went on to make around 80 million mm-hmm. in its time in the box office. And the fact that it was at number one with only 18 million really made me kind of scratch my head and say, well, what was the competition? So well, that I, time of year is always bad for movies. That it, time of year is always bad. February is notoriously a bad time for movies. I think the market is changing right now where mm-hmm. with opportunities for streaming and for different ways of marketing and breaking up the year in a different ways, this is no longer the graveyard it used to be. I say mm-hmm. that having just seen the movie The Batman in theaters, which just opened earlier this month. This is now not the graveyard it used to be. It used to be the time of year when the studios would dump the movies they didn't have any faith in, which makes this number two movie of the week interesting to me. I did a little digging, and it turns out that the number two movie for this week was the movie Old School. Oh, yeah. yeah. Old School is the 2003 American comedy directed by Todd Phillips. The film stars Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, Will Ferrell, all depressed men in their 30s who seek to relive their college days by starting a fraternity and the adventures that they have after doing so. And yes, you did hear all those names properly. It's Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, Will Ferrell, all people who are continuing to make movies and TV shows today, very successful people. And if the name Todd Phillips sounds familiar, yeah, you are finding out possibly for the first time that the director of Old Old School is the same director of 2019's Joker, which will go on to earn him an Oscar nomination and earned the film three Academy Awards. So the guy who came up with Will Ferrell's streaking in 2003 is the same guy (laughs) who gave us the media eviscerating Joker of 2019. And on television, what did this episode compete against? It aired on February 26, 2003 and earned 2.8 million viewers. This is very low for the series overall. It's very low for this season. The show has been riding a a plateau of around 4 million viewers per week, but this week it really dipped. And what was it up against? Well, it was up against my wife and kids and George Lopez on ABC. They were both pretty strong contenders with around 7 million viewers each. Star Search on CBS, a show which neither Matt or I can possibly remember, Remember. which makes me think that both of us are from an alternate timeline. It was getting about 8 million (laughs) viewers. Enterprise was also up against on Fox, that 70s show and American Idol. And that 70s show was 6 million viewers. American Idol was closer to 10. Very funny. Ed was still on the air and was Mm -hmm. getting around 6 million. And WB, hate to break it to you, Matt, had finally figured out the formula for beating UPN's Enterprise. With a weird choice for a movie. Yes. (laughs) UPN's Enterprise was struggling with 2.8 million viewers this week, but WB finally stepped above it by broadcasting a movie. Yes, they broadcast the WB's own, the Lone Ranger 2003 film, and earned Mm. 3.4 million viewers for doing so. 
Not a good time for Star Trek. Not a good time for Star Trek, but a good time for CSI. That's right. CSI was the number one show on CBS that week with 22 million viewers. And in the news from the New York Times on this day, February 26th, 2003, some of the headlines included that a panel of experts found fault with the Bush plan to study the climate, which is ironic considering we've figured out climate change and fixed all those problems since then. So good job us. All solved. Yes. We're on top of that. The U.S. was also putting together a list of Iraqis to punish or to work with, and Turkey appeared ready to let 60,000 U.S. troops into their borders in preparation for war with Iraq. And finally, this headline, which I thought meshed well with the topic of the episode, the Supreme Court justices stressed inmates have a right to press appeal. The Supreme Court ordered a new hearing for a Texas death row inmate today in a surprisingly broad 8-to-1 decision that warned the federal courts of appeals against shutting the door prematurely on state prisoners who seek to present constitutional challenges to their convictions or sentences. The court said that to gain a hearing, an inmate appealing a denial of habeas corpus does not need to present a winning case, only a plausible one. The decision could have a substantial effect, reopening federal courthouse doors that some appellate judges have closed through stringent interpretations of new limits on habeas corpus review that Congress adopted in 1996. So this goes back to a tougher stance on crime that was introduced under the Clinton administration. And this was loosening the reins on that a little bit, allowing inmates. And the case that was brought that brought this result was a Texas inmate, a black man who 17 years earlier had been convicted by an almost entirely white jury. And the argument was that there was racial work going on in selection of the jury to ensure that the prosecution would win their case. So in line with that, here we go back into the future, back into Enterprise. And we find that Archer and Trip are aboard a prison transport and they're being told by all the other prisoners, yeah, once you're on this transport, you're basically guilty. You're on your way to a prison planet. Best of luck. Mm-hmm. This episode features guest actors like Mark Ralston. We've talked about him briefly in the Wikipedia summary. For some reason, he was introduced there. Called, he's called out. He was yeah. called out specifically. Mark Ralston is known by our viewers, I'm sure, for movies like Aliens, Lethal Weapon 2, Shawshank Redemption, The Departed. He is a that guy through and through. Also in the episode were... Holmes Osborne, Michael McCready, Brian Morey, John Hansen. Also, Sean Whalen playing Zumas, who is particularly good in this episode. And Sean Whalen is another that guy. You've seen him in tons of stuff. He has on IMDb 137 credits to his name. He's been in tons of television shows and movies, usually playing the nerdy, picked upon, but ultimately likable other guy. So Mm -hmm. a hat tip to Sean Whalen for his performance in this. Given that the last known star date was September, this is not star date. Given that the last known date of an episode was September 2152, this is Sean's speculative calendaring. I'm guessing that this episode is supposed to take place sometime in late November 2152. So this episode, Matt, just a quick spoiler response. I found this episode to be a little bit lackluster from the does it do anything perspective. What did you think? 
I'm torn because there's a part of this episode that I just I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, at the end of the episode, I thought it was enjoyable entertainment, but it was a little bit of a nothing burger because there wasn't a lot related to Star Trek and the characters and an evol- it, it, like character evolution. But there was a strong through line for this episode trying to say something about the justice system. Yeah. And so like that came through loud and clear. So it was making a very clear political statement about what the problems with our justice system and like you, you imprison somebody and you can imprison somebody if you do it poorly, you actually turn them into really horrible criminal criminals. Yes. Where if you had tried to help them, you could have sent them on a better path. So it's 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 an interesting statement. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as far as the Star Trek storyline for Enterprise is considered, I just thought this was kind of a meh. Yeah. Didn't really do much. I agree. The The character of Mark Ralston, Karata, is given an opportunity. And I think that this is, I th- think, first of all, Mark Ralston does a terrific job with, oh, yeah. with the character. And I think the writing for the character is interesting. There's nuance to him. He is clearly a, a bad guy. Oh, yeah. But he's a bad guy who, when he has moments of opening up, you can see that he's viewing things from a survivability perspective that he has basically been honed into a survival machine and that is mm-hmm. driving a lot of his decision-making. And there's another criminal who is teamed up with him in the escape attempt who is a Nausicaan. And even the Nausicaan is given an opportunity for a little bit of nuance in the character. He is, and this is the kind of Nausicaan depiction you and I have been asking for for the entire run of this series. <laughs> from play Dom Jock Human. Yes. <laughs> To this, it's kind of like how the Ferengi were like, just crazy the first time we saw them and they evolved into something very different. It's the same thing with this. It's, it's, he was a very nuanced character based on what we saw before. Yeah. It was, there's, there's a moment where the Nausicaan brings Karada a bowl of food and says, he cares about him. And he says, you haven't eaten in two days. You have to eat something. There's a relationship there. There is something between the two of them, a dependence and a friendship that has seen things. And that moment alone made me like kind of like lean forward in my chair. It was a, it was a simple moment for that character that went beyond what we've seen before from other Nausicans. And, and it gave Ralston's character, it gave Karada an opportunity to launch off into I'll never eat prison food again. It is very much a, he's planted a flag. He is, he, there's a line he's not going to cross. And that line is, I will never be captured again. So he's even gone so far as to, in his arm, he has implanted a device which will allow him to escape the handcuffs. He is prepared to take the ship into dangerous scenarios, even inviting fighting very much more heavily armed patrol craft over being boarded. So Ralston's character, his back is against the wall and the Nausicaan has a little more flexibility there. He clearly just wants to make sure that they get out alive, but Ralston's character is not going to bend. He is going to break or he's going to break free. The other prisoners on this ship and the episode opens with a empty shuttlecraft drifting in space. This is a, you need to get into the show somehow. You need to get into the story somehow. I understand that. It feels like a device that's been used a few too many times in Enterprise specifically of showing like, it's, oh, the crew is worried about a missing person. It would have 
I didn't feel like that was necessarily the best jumping in point. How about you? It was, it was, they were trying to do a very provocative cold open to make people go, what? And clearly it didn't work because they only got, what was it? 2.8 million people watching or something. It was like clearly the cold open and what they did did not catch people, but I I thought it was unnecessary. It was, it had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I think that a better cold open would have been to open on the prison transport with guards lecturing about the types of harsh punishment they would get if if any of these prisoners tried to do anything out of line and at the closing of the cold open zero in on the two prisoners that we care about which would be suddenly reveal that on this prison ship captain archer and trip are both part of this prison cohort that would have been a better way of jumping right into like they something has happened as opposed to what did they do yeah as opposed to the cold open we've been given which is there's a lot of exposition explaining how the captain and trip had been on the Anolian homeworld and then disappeared. And now the enterprise has found the shuttlecraft. They find captain's logs. It's, it's a lot of talky talky instead of showing anything yeah. in action to expose anything. So it's a little slow at the beginning to build. Then we get aboard the prison ship and I couldn't help but keep thinking this is now their version of Con Air. This is <laughs> yes. they I didn't are make telling that equation, but yes. Yeah, they are telling the story of a ship of badass prisoners mm-hmm. who, when things go left, they suddenly have to depend on each other in different ways that they didn't expect. And at the same time trying to get away. And mm-hmm. not a bad concept. I didn't think it was a bad concept for an episode, but I just kept feeling like they aren't doing anything to show character development of the characters we care about. Nope. And their ultimate statement of the prison system made me this perfect bad guy is lost in the shuffle instead of it's definitely there. It could have been highlighted a little better, but it's kind of lost in the shuffle of a lot of. I don't know if this analogy is going to work for everybody, but here I go. It's a little bit like you go to a, a dance performance expecting tap and what you get is soft shoe instead. <laughs> a lot of shuffling around on stage and a lot of <laughs> movements that look a little bit like tap, but it's not, it doesn't sound the same and it's not quite hitting the same moments. Okay, I like, I like what you're framing there, but I, I did not expect you to go to dance. Yeah, because like, you know, as people like to go to tap shows, as yeah. the kids do today. One of the things I would want to point out about the opening sequences of them on the ship that I did appreciate was the show ratchets ratchets up the oh you got to be kidding like it ratchets it up really nicely because it's like from the moment that you see them on the ship and then they start getting shocked. And they're tr- and then the enterprise is like, you know, you got to help us find our people. We find the people. They're about to get them off the ship, and then you know the coup happens on board the ship, and so suddenly that's gone sideways. Right. I liked how they kept amping it up of like, oh god, how are they going to get out of this? Oh, they can get out of this. Oh no, they're not going to get out of this. It's actually worse yeah. than it was before. Right. I like that they kept amping it up. So I thought the tension build was good, but again, at the end of the day, that episode is kind of like a it doesn't really help the characters. I didn't learn anything about trip. I didn't already know. I didn't learn anything about Archer that I didn't already know. Yeah. It was fun to see Archer at that moment where things went sideways. And then they're like, 
why are you why were you getting angled to get off this ship right and he immediately without missing a beat without like looking at trip no like like mouthing things to each other to come up with a plan he just immediately goes into it of like oh yeah i paid people off right. it's like I, I i like the fact that he thinks quick on his feet and came up with something to keep things moving forward yeah but yeah it's a nothing burger yeah it's ultimately that aspect of archer is not something that's new to us no we've seen so, it before we've seen it before and depiction of trip as being able to do things at the back of the ship where he is being forced to put in repairs. We've seen that before. And I felt like there was a a moment missed here, which I'm maybe jumping in early in our discussion with my putting on my writer hat and rewriting the episode. (laughs) Here's what I was hoping for. The two of them are separated very quickly as the, the coup on the ship is taking place and the people who escape take an opportunity that is presented to them when there's confusion among the guards about needing to release two of the prisoners. Because as Matt mentioned, the enterprise through diplomatic channels gets an Anolian commander aboard ship that helps them locate the transport. And they are en route to link up with the transport and get their people off when the guards are doing something now they don't normally do, which is talking to some of their prisoners and trying to figure out which ones they're supposed to release. And in that discussion, the two people who are going to plot this escape, Zumas and his, uh, not Zumas, I'm sorry, but Karada and his Nausicaan partner, they take that moment to break free take command of the ship by basically bull rushing the cockpit in can, that can I ask moment. You a question? Yeah. I was going to say in that moment, would you have written that sequence in that way? Like, do you think that that's how guards would actually have handled that situation? Oh, none of that okay. made sense to me. You would have gone up to that prisoner said, get up, come with me. Yeah. Who and are you? Would you? Take yeah. Them up to, yeah. You would have taken them up to the front and you had a conversation with them somewhere else. Yes. It's not, you're not going to go into a crowded room of prisoners and go, hey, you, yeah. we're going to take you out of here. Yeah. It was a <laughs> lot of, it was a lot of very poorly conceived <laughs> stage whispers. Yeah. Are you Archer? We're letting yeah. you go. None of that made sense. I agree. And, and I would have preferred there had been some other setup to them making their escape. In fact, if what you had described had happened, it would have worked even better with what I was hoping was going to happen in the episode, which is if Archer had been taken to a different location, closer to the cockpit, and mm-hmm. the guards were talking to him about, are you Archer? We've heard from your people. We're going to go get your other guy, and we're going to have we're going to dock with the ship and release the two of you. While the guards are distracted at the front of the ship having that discussion, if you then have Karata and his partner yep. take that as the opportunity to have their jailbreak, yep. bull rush the cockpit, do everything that they did before, but basically separate the ship into two parts. You could have had a guard still operating in the back of the ship with now loose prisoners, Trip trying to protect a guard from the prisoners who are chomping at the bit to take revenge, they could all be loose and working at cross purposes with Karada and his Nausicaan partner at the front of the ship who are using Archer to fly the ship. Then you have a scenario where Trip is telling the people at the back the truth. That guy's my captain. We're from a place, we're from a ship called Enterprise. Let me figure out what we're doing here. He could be viewed by the other prisoners as also 
part of a threat. Oh, you and your captain were going to be released. So you're maybe not on our side. So you could have had those prisoners at the back of the ship basically arguing with Karada at the front of the ship and Karada doesn't care about them. He needs them to be collateral damage. So he's at the front of the ship working with Archer to fly the ship while Archer is masquerading as, yeah, I'm just a bad guy too because I'm a smuggler and I bribed my way out. Mm -hmm. Then you have Trip and Archer both working at cross purposes with each other and having to figure out how to quietly reconnect formulate a plan and understand what the other person is doing trip could be at the back of the ship not knowing why archer is helping pilot this ship he could be confused Mm -hmm. as to we've changed course we're changing speed we seem to be under attack but we're doing evasive maneuvers why is archer helping Mm -hmm. archer could be at the front of the ship saying how do i get trip to understand what i'm doing and get him a message as to how to either cripple or destabilize the vessel so that we can actually come out of warp and not continue on the path that we're on, which is going to lead ultimately to us destroying the ship and all these people aboard. So you could have had more tension between the captain and the engineer, which would then have, the show then would be about their connection as a team. It is something we've seen in other episodes, but we've usually seen it where the two people are hand in hand running through a dangerous scenario and working together to solve a problem. It would have been yeah. very interesting, I think, to see the two of them well, having to work through the, the confines of not being able to openly talk with one another. I, I agree with that. And I also want to point out, like, the way they had it structured, when Trip at the end is working with the Nausicaan and he's, like, releasing some kind of valve and he asks the Nausicaan, hey, can you twist this for me? Yeah. It was like, wait, didn't we see Trip do this exact same thing basically yeah. in the episode that was dedicated to him with that other alien on the planet? It's like, yeah. it, it's such a rehash of everything we've seen before, Yeah, which is part of the reason why this episode is a nothing burger. It's like, yeah. there really is not, nothing new. Yeah. And I think in a sign of this episode had a certain first drafty feel to me. The description I read about the production of this, it was filmed basically across the holiday break at the end of December with some additional reshoots right after the holidays. And it was mostly filmed on the set of the prison ship. This is effectively a bottle episode. Yep. It felt like it. The set to me looks like a repurposed set from the episode where they all had to relocate inside the nacelle chambers Mm -hmm. because the ship was going to be exposed to intense radiation. The prison ship looks like that same set. So I think this may be a repurposed set done as a bottle episode so that they didn't need most of their regular actors on site during what was leading up to the holiday. Right. This episode feels very much like that to me. A quick and easy. They only needed the two principal actors. They needed Archer. They needed Trip. The rest of the people are all guest actors. Most of the actors don't have any lines. And the actors who do, it's just a handful of them. So it's just just a few people. So I think this is probably a cost-saving episode. And it feels that way to me. And one of the Mm -hmm. lines of dialogue that really gives me that first drafty flavor is... When Trip is trying to work on the engineering section and he turns to the Nausicaa and says, poor little me, I'm just a weak little human. I can't turn that thing. You're a big, strong Nausicaa. Can you get in there and turn it 
counterclockwise. Yes, I, that jumped out at me too. And I was, like, I okay, was sitting yeah, there he's gonna just get like, that. I wanted the Nausicaan to turn around and go, what counterclockwise, human? I just didn't yeah. understand how that would get through any number of rewrites and editorial review for the episode. It was just a phrase that stuck out as, oh, come on. Like you could say, turn it to the left, turn it that way. Can you turn it that way? It's, it's the use of the phrase counterclockwise just stuck out as they really weren't thinking these things through. They weren't putting a lot of oomph into the, into these moments. And with the exception of, like I said, the performance of Ralston and, and Bacula in this, the mm-hmm. two of them spend a lot of time together and there is a nice back and forth between the two of them. One of the things that stood out to me about Bacula's performance that really made me scratch my head. Why is it whenever Bacula plays Archer pretending he's a bad guy? Oh yeah. He starts talking in a really tough guy voice and, and he sits it, in a certain way. And it kind of stands out like he has been sitting as a prisoner trying to have normal conversation and trying to explain himself to people for hours. The moment that he gets out and gets into the cockpit and starts acting like a swaggering tough guy. Like, yeah, they don't know who you are. Why not just continue to be yourself? Why does I, I just didn't understand that performance choice, but yeah, he and Ralston spending this much time together. And during the making of the episode, Ralston said that they had worked on the fight sequences for something like 10 hours. Whoa. And he said, amusingly, he said they they were strenuous and that the two of them were both in their 40s. So he complained, it's not as easy as it used to be, that that Mm -hmm. kind of stage acting. And the kind of stage fighting that they're doing is impressive. They're throwing each other into bulkheads. They're throwing each other over things. There were some moments that as the fight was going on and the camera is doing the old camera rocking technique to make it look like they're doing all this on a ship that is just about to break up in the atmosphere. There were some moments in the fight sequence that I thought were, that looked potentially dangerous to one or the other. I agree. There were parts I actually went, Ooh, like, like when they were hitting each other and like coming at each other, it looked, it looked like it was rehearsed. It looked like they actually were trying to make it look good. It wasn't the typical Star Trek fight where here comes war for the open and the guy goes flying backwards. It's like, okay, that didn't take any rehearsal. Yeah. This, this looked pretty good. Yeah. So I think that that falls into discussion at the very beginning of this episode for me, which was, I feel like from a directing standpoint, it hits all the right notes. It does everything Mm -hmm. it can with the story that's been provided. And I think from a writing standpoint, it's not a bad first draft. It's not a a bad skeleton to a storyline. And if it had been pushed a little bit more, I feel like you could have still had basically the same story, which is, again, the con air moment of you got these bad guys. But what I wanted to see more of was everybody at the back of the ship who are the, oh, yeah, we're all innocent, wink, wink, prisoners. Mm-hmm. I wish there had been more from the larger group of them. They all stay prisoners. They all remain locked up. And that's where, for me, the idea of what if Karada and his partner had been able to storm the cockpit, been able to take over the ship. They threw the, the security guards back with the other prisoners. But then what if the other prisoners on their own are able to break out? And the f- other prisoners' first response is to say to Karada, let us join you. And Karada's response is, no and locks them out of the cockpit 
And then you have trip at the back of the ship with truly dangerous people with different motives. Yeah. We only see really any kind of discussion with another prisoner in the form of the Sean Whalen character, which I pointed out before. Comic relief. He's playing (laughs) Zumas and Zumas is clearly comic relief. First of all, I love the makeup on Zumas. I want to argue with you on that. (laughs) It was just gross. I love it. It was just, I love it. It's gross. Yeah. Just gross. It's like, I didn't understand looking at like the biology of this, of a creature. It's like, why would you have seaweed looking stuff just drooping out of holes on your, your, it's like, it was like, come come on. No, no. It looks like he has mucus dripping. It's like, I I would rather have seen mucus. Mucus would have been better. Why is it like the seaweed stuff? It's like, it didn't make any sense. I did like the actor's portrayal, though, of how he kept playing with it. Yeah. It's like as it's like a little lotsy, his like little like tick yeah. that he would do as a character. Yeah. I like that. I, I but depict, the design I, I did not like. I understood that as it was some kind of self-soothing thing. Like those maybe oh, yeah, have yeah. nerve endings and he's playing with them to soothe himself a little bit like, uh, like yeah. you said, a tick. And Zumas is clearly played for comic relief. I would have really loved it if there had been, like I said, a moment where the prisoners at the back are able to escape. And it turns out that Zumas has a particularly ruthless approach that he is yeah. not the, you know, sad trombone. Like I'm just he could be caught extremely up. dangerous. He could be extremely dangerous in a way that trip is dismissive at the, at the beginning, the comic moments between Sean Whalen and the actor playing trip are really well done. Trip is playing it. It's, it's almost got an Abbott and Costello sort of like eye rolling how exhausting it is sitting next to this guy. But if it turned out that Zumas was particularly dangerous in a way that trip didn't understand, but Zumas at that point, while being dangerous, still really likes trip that Mm -hmm. could have provided for some interesting moments, especially around having possibly guards that they are able to hold as hostage trying to extract information out of them. If Zumas is the one who's able to say like, I can do this and has a particularly dangerous and gross way of doing that. And Trip has to try (laughs) and get him to back off of that. I thought there could have been some, some really great moments there. So I feel like this falls into the category for me of some of the other episodes we've talked about, which is I enjoyed watching it, but I wish it could have punched more. Yes. And ultimately I look at it as a B minus or a C plus episode. I wouldn't turn it off if I happened to stumble across it and was in the mood for Star Trek, but I wouldn't go seeking it out either. Yeah, I agree. I'm in the same exact place. It's like I liked the last couple of episodes we watched a lot more than this one, and I would go back and rewatch those. This one, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And for me, one final comment, I think directorial decisions, for me, one of the moments that a directorial choice really stood out as being pitch perfect was at the mm-hmm. end when we see the anolian commander who is trying to provide mm-hmm. an apology from his leaders to the captain and his engineer saying we're so sorry for any inconvenience you know framing it as inconvenience when what we also have, need a report we also yeah, need a report we need a report and so here yeah. is a people whose justice system is clearly broken. People are guilty by suspicion. They are railroaded and treated without human rights in a way that glosses over any equal or fair treatment of the guilty or the innocent. And his only concern is reports, the proper paperwork being filed so that 
he's covering his own butt at this point. Mm-hmm. And Archer spins around and gives his impassioned moral response to this, which is here's what here's what my report is. You are railroading people. You do not have a justice system that works. And there's nothing about any of this experience that demonstrates that you people care about moral stance Mm -hmm. and then turns on his heel and walks away. And for me, the pitch perfect directorial decision was the way to Paul followed about five paces behind her captain with her hands tucked behind her back. And she walks Mm -hmm. silently around the corner. There was yeah. something about the way that T'Pol left without a word yeah. that demonstrated part of the emerging relationship between not only her and Archer, but the humans and the Vulcans at large. This was not in any way highlighted in the show. There's nothing Vulcan about this episode other than her moment of, I'm with him. Well, it's, it's interesting because it shows, because the captain, obviously, the, the, the guy that was asking for the report he was clearly trying to cover his own butt but at the same time it came across there's a desperation that wasn't just about him there came across a palpable concern of like oh crap we have really you know caused a rift between this human civilization and the vulcans because it's like here are these two species that are working together that are both clearly yeah you know not pleased at how things have worked out and so it's like this is not a good footing for them to be on yeah so there was a desperation not just for him as an individual i i got in a sense of there's a desperation of that planet of like oh crap it's like we just angered a bunch of species that are probably we need for trading partners we need for yeah. a relationship of some kind so i thought that was kind of a nice touch too it was very subtle but i i kind of picked up on that yeah and for to paul through the episode her discussions around finding her captain and the engineer it's very subtle criticism that she she doesn't say anything through the episode but in her discussion it's clear annoying commander she keeps voicing a certain amount of shock at the fact that you don't know where they are you pick up prisoners and don't know where they go and the way she keeps making these loaded statements it's clear that she's already been on a certain very subtle level criticizing this guy to his face so when the captain turns and fully says you guys suck and then walks away (laughs) she doesn't have to say anything she doesn't need to put a cherry on top she's already built the sunday the captain has put the cherry on top and then they all walk away so again it's an episode that if you're following along and watching these episodes along with us i don't recommend you skip it but i am curious do all of you agree that there's not a whole lot here to make you want to go back to it or are you a big fan of nicholas cage and con air and you just love seeing scott back to <laughs> follow in his footsteps yeah matt before we sign off is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have coming up on your other channel just to check out the episodes coming up on undecided there's some interesting ones coming up in a couple of weeks it's not the next one but there's an interesting uh, one about turning human waste into energy poop power mm. that i'm i'm very excited to talk about <laughs> <laughs> and keep in mind this is from the person who just said that seaweed coming out of somebody's face was gross <laughs> so yes yep don't know if that's the pot calling the kettle black or what but please tune in for that good number two viewing mm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. As for me, you can check out my website, seanferrell.com. You can find my books there. You can find links to purchasing through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any of your local bookstores. They're available everywhere. You can also pick them up at your local library. Matt, next time we're going to be talking about the episode, The Crossing. Any speculation as to what that episode will be about? One of the crew is going to uh, probably cross something. Mm. Maybe his T's. Yes. Don't forget, if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, 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 Podcasts. <laughs> if you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show and you'll find a target with our faces on it. You throw quarters at it and we say thank you. Well, not literally. There's a become a supporter button that you can click. But in your imagination, your imagination, you can pretend you're you throwing see our quarters. Faces. You can th- pretend you're throwing quarters at our faces and pretend we're saying thank you because in our hearts, we really are. Isn't that what it's really about, Matt? Yes, it is. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and watching. Please subscribe, please like, and please share us with your friends. And we'll talk to you next time. And Sean Whalen. Sean Whalen playing Zoomus. Sounds like somebody needs to check their laundry. <laughs> okay. Washing machine is done. Time to check the laundry. <laughs> laundry from the future that's right i wish that was magical roddenberry's voice